I don't know if there are strong enough words for how bad the Stadium Series game was, but we're going to look for them. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league? Yeah, we are. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for February 17th, 2020. Coming up on the show, a few words on the other games this week, and the Stadium Series game is just about as big a disaster as you could reasonably imagine. Now, you probably want to know who's telling you about all this, so say hello to Earl. Hello, friends. And say hello to Jackie. Hello. Join us on Deadline Day, which is next Monday. As with most years, the Burgundy Review crew is going to hang out in Discord voice all day on trade deadline day with a live recording of the episode for the week later that afternoon. You can expect me and voice chat somewhere in the nine o'clock mountain hour. Everyone else will pretty much come and go all day, but that pretty much is my day. So I'll be there. I think uh, Rudo is going to come and go as he has time. I know that these two are going to be in and out as they have availability. And then the three of us will do a show later. So it's usually a good time. Come hang out. We'll make fun of things that don't happen and all kinds of stuff. We begin this week with an NHL standings check, as usual. The clear stratification in the West from a few weeks ago has dissolved completely. St. Louis do play Nashville later tonight. That's a game they should win. But as of this recording, they, Dallas, and Colorado are all within two points in the top three spots in the Central. Colorado have the fewest games played of the bunch and currently sit third. After that is the entire non-California Pacific division between 66 and 69 points. Arizona... Arizona holds a second wildcard spot with a three-point lead over both Nashville and Minnesota, who have multiple games in hand each. Speaking of which, Bruce Boudreaux is out in Minnesota, and the Wild responded by getting shut out the next day by the San Jose Sharks. (laughs) The Carolina Hurricanes sit outside the playoffs right now, but would lead the Pacific Division. That really seems like a a strong possibility of actually happening at the end of the year, which is... I, I think that's a disaster. For things sh- to shake out that way? Yeah, for someone to have more points than the division champion and miss the playoffs. Seems like that happens every year, that divisional setup screws somebody. But it's usually like the 17th team gets in. Not like someone who would be first in the division in a different division misses entirely. This it's- is why every week I say the division setup stupid. Because it's pretty much setting up that the Avs are going to play either Dallas or St. Louis first, and then the other one second. And that the first wild card that gets to move over to the Pacific and probably play Vancouver in the first round is the real winner. Yep. It's a, it's a big, big disaster. Speaking of big disasters, let's start on Saturday. Colorado lose outside, 3-1 to the Los Angeles Kings. Pretty terrible game to watch, but outdoor games always are. Colorado outshot the Kings 33-23, including a 26-12 shot advantage through two periods, but couldn't solve Jonathan Quick, except the time he reached for a lost stick, and Sam Gerrard put the puck over his shoulder. They had two power plays negated within seconds by penalties. To add injury to insult, Ian Cole gets twisted up trying to defend a rush chance and goes ass-first into Philip Grubauer, who goes down, stiffly, obvious pain, doesn't return to the game. His status is not clear as we record today. 
Tyler Toffoli gets all three Kings goals. Congrats to him. Before we get to, like, everything else, are there any meaningful takeaways from this game? Other than Grubauer is obviously hurt, and Matt Calvert also has an apparent mystery lower body injury. Yeah, well, it's hard to say because they haven't played the Kings yet. So I know a lot of people are frustrated that they lost to a bad team. But the Kings have always presented some challenges to the Avs, and they still do have some good players. And it was the good players that beat them. So I'm not quite ready to push the panic button as far as the game's concerned. I think Quick was like 0-7-1 coming into this game, and then suddenly turns into Jonathan Quick from 2014. Um, and that was a little frustrating, just because I think the Avs went like 13-1 and in, in shot, shots on goal advantage to open the game, and they just they just couldn't score, and it was very frustrating. And, and I think after that, the frustration kind of mounted, and then you know, there was a, a bit of a letdown, especially after Toffoli's first goal. Yeah, the disappointing part was that they couldn't at least get it to overtime. You get that close to the end of the game, what was it, like a minute? And yeah. you give up the goal, that's pretty disappointing, especially when the division might come down to, to points. You could point at this one where you couldn't get a point out of the Kings. It's probably going to be a disappointment down the road. And then, like you said, not scoring. It's one thing to lose, but it's another thing to only score one goal against the Kings, which then you point to the, the conditions, even though from everything we've heard, the ice was good enough, was in a total snow slush pile, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's, but... it's more than the ice. I mean, it's cold out there. It's just it, it it's weird shadows and, and all kinds of things that are very different from playing at the Pepsi Center. So one thing I noticed was I'm that not... um, I I don't know if it was on the F sixteen or what, but there was like a something just with a blinking blue light just over the the boards like all game long. <laughs> like you're trying to tell <laughs> yeah, me that's not distracting? Yeah, <laughs> I think it was from the plane. Yeah, I think I noticed some lights too. Yeah. So yeah, of course it's conditions you're not used to. It's not an NHL rink. It's so, yeah, it is really tough to, to try to extrapolate some game takeaways from this, other than kind of what we just mentioned. Yeah, we, we've, we've known going in that outdoor games are always, you know, this kind of that sludgy, slowed down sort of hockey disaster where whoever can generate the most bounces for themselves is most likely to win. Um we talked about that as being kind of a skill neutralizer because you can't really do um, a, just a whole lot of you know, highly skilled plays. There's just it's just not possible. Um, yeah, definitely, it, it's definitely an advantage for the team. You know, that, that's a little less skilled and maybe a little more grindy, um, just because it's just it, it's it's easier to waylay an offensive team. Uh, under those conditions. I did appreciate how they didn't want to show off that power play on national TV. Yeah. So good strategy there. Making sure you take the power play away within seconds. Both times. <laughs> so it was a game that really wasn't played on special teams, which was a nice departure from some games that we saw this week. 
what was like what's funny about that is is I've been joking all season long that they should really do exactly what Gabe did on the first power play. Yeah. <laughs> but since the All-Star break, the power play's been humming along pretty good. They're what 28% or something. So like they've had plenty of luck there. Yeah. They've actually been better than the penalty kill, which isn't saying anything, but um they've they've been better and i <clears throat> i think when you when you look at who scored since the all-star break amico's had two mac one uh makar one and, and nachushkin one um you know looking at miko getting a couple of goals on the power play that's you know that's sort of a sign that that we've all been looking for that that maybe he's you know not, i don't think he's ever going to be 100% from the ankle injury but it's he's learning to deal with it and he's he's becoming miko again we definitely saw that in some of the other games this week. Yeah. Which we'll get to. Sorry, I'm I'm having like a really hard time paying attention to this conversation right now because oh, Av, no. Av's Twitter is on fire about whether a trade has or has not happened. Um apparently both the Avalanche and Devils are denying this. So, who knows? But Rin Lavoie is saying that Blake Coleman has been traded to the Avalanche. But for for unknown. And unknown? And then there's there's <laughs> denials from both sides. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> I don't even know Blake Coleman well, so Neither do I. So. But I, I see some of his, you know hockey viz graphs it looks like he at least sends pucks in the right direction but also takes a lot of penalties it's but that could be Como from with a different name but but, <laughs> but but that could be from playing on the new jersey devils who are bad and don't have the puck a lot <laughs> when you're bad and chasing the game and don't have the puck a lot you take a lot of penalties yeah so um just from everything that's... i've heard Hey! It sounds like the Avs are aggressively saying it did not happen. Rudo, also, hello. Sorry, Thank I'm you, late. disembodied voice. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Glad to have you, even if you're late. Doesn't really matter. Uh, this is a, a, exactly perfect entrance. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, the Avs strongly denying it means it did happen. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to speculate. All I know is the Avs are giving out a hard no at the moment. Which probably just means what the trade call hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I just don't believe that. I, I, I just am not sold on Blake Coleman on the Avs. He's basically JT Comfer, but older on a slightly better contract. I mean, that sounds like exactly the kind of guy that we'll, we'll end up with at the deadline, so. So what's it going to cost if it did happen? We don't know. Well, <laughs> that's what we're here on a podcast for. Toronto's third. We know this, Jackie. Yeah. Well, since he's signed next year, it's going to be more than that. I don't know. They just took, like, a handful of magic beans for their captain, so maybe they're just trying to get stuff. <laughs> sell before everyone else does Captain so you get the best price <laughs> what 38 years old yeah I know but still 
Coleman for stuff. <laughs> so if we get some clarity on a trade happening, we'll break back into our regularly scheduled conversation. But at <clears> least <throat> for now, it looks like it's just, hey, there's rumors. And the teams are going, no, no. Like, both teams are aggressively telling their reporters, no, no. So, really weird for that reporter to go firmly with something that's just being denied all around. The French media is pretty good, so he's one, I'd believe. Right. But Which it's is not why. A player, is it? It doesn't matter. They plugged into the Avs. They've broken yeah. a lot of Avs news. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, it also might mean that we're just trying to decide whether it's going to be, you know, this C prospect or that C prospect. So, who knows? So, um, I don't know when you actually joined the call, Ruto. We had just been talking about kind of how you, maybe you can't take just a whole lot away from the Stadium Series game, which I think I saw you saying on Twitter last night. Yeah, um, I don't know what you guys have said either all the way. I came in kind of near the end of that conversation, but the game itself means absolutely nothing to me. Um, the Avs played a great first period and quick played great. That's unfortunate. Had they gotten the lead in the first, I think they probably win. And the rest of the game was an outdoor game where the puck just did whatever it wanted and the Avs couldn't use their skill. And the Kings played total garbage slush hockey. And it is what it is. Uh, obviously, the two points would have been nice for the team, but the game went almost exactly how I expected it to go. And I'm not surprised at all. It doesn't mean anything in the greater picture to me. The Avs are still going to go out and be a really good team when they get to play indoors. Yeah, it's basically that, that's basically our takes. My my only <laughs> my. Own, Sorry, I've got the only thing I've got a Google Translate weird. from 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 Ren Lavoie. So the, the, this is the direct Google Translate of his French tweet. The Devils deny the information. My source is very solid. Obviously, several balls are in the areas. <laughs> yep. Balls. Someone else oh. is saying they're not sure if it's the Avs or the Leafs. God, those are two very different teams. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> well, could be to the Avs with the Leafs pick. Could be. Based on that stadium series game and some guy on Twitter, sources say that deal must have gotten stuck in traffic. <laughs> yeah. true. We, we haven't gotten to any of the extracurriculars from that game yet, just the game itself. <clears throat> fair enough and yeah the game itself way more concerning is the fact that philip grubauer and matt calvert are injured than than the actual game do you have any idea what happened to matt calvert because none of us know yeah um it's definitely lower body i can't remember the exact shift i'll have to go and look it up but he was driving in on the net and he tried to make a move around a guy and he very very clearly pulled up off his left leg and just kind of labored off the ice and then i don't know if he took another shift or not but i saw it happen and went did he just hurt himself and then sure enough yep yeah i looked he he didn't have any more shifts after the middle of the third which makes it a little less clear just cuz there was such little game left that those are hard to peg if it was just more of a it's better to sit out or if it is more of like an injury injury so we'll find out 
And it doesn't help that the Eagles are playing in a couple of hours or a hour right now. And so they they wouldn't allow, or not allow, but they, they probably wouldn't send someone up to the NHL until after that game. It cost so. them an extra day, too, to do it before the game, so they probably <laughs> wouldn't want to anyway. Yeah, I mean, other than the goalie, any position player would not be playing, so it's not a big deal. Pierre Lebrun says that the Avs have shown interest in Blake Coleman, but no trade has been made. Neat. So, <laughs> shout out to everybody who just wasted like a bunch of time on this show on that, and also being, you know, having your freakouts in real life as it happened in real time if you were online for it, if you were unfortunate enough. Yes, we'll see what happens. Yep. Let this be a reminder that everybody's wrong sometimes. Everybody is wrong sometimes. And this is also um, a nice reminder that being first isn't always good. So the odds are already down Nazem Kadri, and then losing, potentially losing Matt Calvert from the lineup as well. Seems like it would be a good time to call up Shane Bowers, you cowards. Yeah, that's an idea. It would. But it seems they've decided to forego development this year. So maybe next year. I have a tiny, tiny smidgen of hope that Tynan was only called up because they were going to Colorado Springs and felt like an extra body. Because for a second there, they were just running 12-6 at home. But ultimately, I'm not expecting much. Even if it's not Tynan, I think it probably ends up being Dries. And that's incredibly disappointing. This is also time to mention Kaut has six points in his last seven games. He's right at the 100-game mark, but that's all irrelevant. And he got suspended for being a big, bad bully, so he's got the grit check mark now. Yeah, what even happened there? He breathed on someone, they fell over. I went back and watched it. It was nothing more than trying to engage in a board battle with a guy that turned his back. So if you want to make the argument that he did hit a guy in the back, it was a two-minute penalty is what it was. <laughs> it was not a hit. It was nothing. I even put on the San Jose team feed. They were just like, oh, yeah, whatever. They didn't even think of it as any sort of hit. They were went immediately into complaining about how terrible their power play is. So... <laughs> Which they didn't get because then the because they got matching minors. So that tells you what that situation was. So <laughs> uh, pretty stupid suspension. Yeah, frustrating for Martin Cout. But at least it was over a series that they had in the middle of the week. So it's not like he missed two weeks. So he was able to play again on the weekend right away it's just really frustrating that um just when it looks like shane bowers is getting things together we have a perfect injury opportunity to call the guy up and the, the team don't seem to have any interest in doing something like that they'd rather literally risk playing down a player because someone steps on a puck in warm-ups at the pepsi center than have you know, call-ups so whatever well this is the situation they create every single year. They refuse to call prospects up during the year, get them ready, 
get them a few games under their belt so that when somebody like Kadri goes down later in the year, they they're left with nothing. They're left with Jost, who's been on the fourth line all year, Kamenev, who's been on the fourth line or out of the lineup all year, or AHLers that they haven't prepared to put in any sort of meaningful role. So that's why every year they're left with, it feels like some guy goes down and it's like, oh my God, what are we left with? We're left with nothing. And then they have to go out and trade for a guy because they haven't prepared anything. They don't even trust Kamenev, though. So... I don't think that playing three, five, even ten games for Shane Bowers or Martin Count would get them. It's better. I mean, I mean, you have to have it at some point to build on it, right? Like, no, I don't think they would have called Bowers up and put him as the two C. But it's better than nothing. It's but you have to start somewhere. You have to start building at some point. I mean, the, the crazy idea I had this week was maybe try Kamenev as the second-line center because it, it seems like Comfer is, you know, he's he's not the greatest fit there. Who'd have thought? Um, I th- I what a surprise. Be because the shifts that Kamenev has had with some higher talent, and they have been limited, but things have happened. And again, like I've said before, Kamenev sits out a while, gets back in the lineup, and he finds himself into a point relatively quickly. Well, it's not even his shifts with the skilled guys. It's his shifts with the fourth line, and you know he looks he looks poised out there. Um, you know he looks and like he a can guy win a that face off. he can win a face off, as can Miko, as we found out this week, which is weird. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it seems like the progression would be to try Kamenev. You know, with Kadri out for as long as he's going to be out, they you know they might end up going through various solutions. Um, you know, I, I haven't really liked Comfer in the limited time that we've had to look at the, the replacements, but, you know, may as well try Vlad there for a game and, and just see what happens, or even just a couple of shifts in the middle of a game. Why not? We've seen JT Comfer second line center. The second yeah. line always gets cratered with that lineup, and it continues to be just what they go to. Right, and you know I like Jost, but it's just we know what he's going to do if he gets put in that situation, and you know I wish it was more, but it's not. You know we basically know exactly what Comfer and Jost are going to bring if they're put in that situation. So I think Bednar prefers knowing what they're going to bring to the unknown, which is unfortunate, but also right, just it is what it is. Yeah, that's the crux of the matter for this whole discussion is that he would rather take experience over potential and. You know, I mean, you can make a case for that. It's just, it's not very creative, and it's, um, you know, it, it it's might end up at hurting the team in some way. Yeah, I believe you end up undermining yourself at that point. Well, that's a lot of words about things that are only tangentially related to what actually happened in the outdoor game. Because <laughs> what can you really say about the outdoor game? It was... Fairly boring. Not a lot. Uh, not a lot happened except for the ass facing of Philip Grubauer, which didn't really help anybody. No, that's. I mean, losing Calvert is a problem. Losing Kadri is a problem, but he'll be back in time for the playoffs. If the Abs lose Grubauer for more than a month, they're screwed. I they, mean, they've got two back to backs in two weeks. 
you have to play Hunter Miska for multiple games in the NHL, you're dead. See, I don't even think they would. I mean, maybe they would, but I just, I, I don't think that they would want to. I mean, we've all seen Miska. I mean, he, he does well in the AHL, but he's very unorthodox. I just don't think what he does would work in the NHL. Well, I mean, probably either limited, way, but... like, it doesn't really matter. If Grubauer is significantly injured, the trajectory of the Avs this season is very, very different. I think Francis would be more than capable. Now, if they have to get beyond him, that's where the big problem comes up. But as has been said multiple times this year, you're not going to win a cup with your third goalie, so it doesn't matter, right? So yeah, they went through the summer refusing to sign a third goalie. They didn't get anybody with experience. They saw both of their goaltenders go down at the same time in the fall. And this is what they've chosen to go with. So I think if you were going to waste assets at the deadline to give yourself insurance, goaltending would be something I'd look at rather than trying to get another guy so you can score even more of five on five. But it's true. If you're down to your third goalie, you're not going to win a cup. You're you're not probably not going to win a cup if anyone like McKinnon or Gerard or McCarr go down. So I guess yeah. it's pointless. It's pointless to, to have fringe guys. <laughs> your defensemen don't run directly into your starting goaltender a lot, you know? Yeah. I think Frank would be more than capable, though. That that part doesn't worry me. It's just... I'm sure he could get the edge of the playoffs, but not the same way that they want to be there. Yeah, you don't really want him playing the last 25 games of the season. Right. I still think it's, it's arguable if he's the better goaltender. I still think that's not yeah, shut But game. even if he is, if he plays every game between now and the playoffs, he's going to be a wreck. Well, sure, that's another factor. But just on talent alone, I'm not so sure that's a huge downgrade. But if you're saying the downgrade is not having a decent tandem, then I agree there. Yeah. And this is all highly speculative. We don't we don't know how long Philip Grubauer is out for. Yeah, he could be fine on Monday. It's the, possible. The concern, though, that this would be the third injury of the year. And for as much crap as Varley took for his last couple years here, I think it we'd start to get into concern territory with Grubauer. Eh, only if this is significant time, right? Because Varley's issue was he would miss huge chunks of seasons. I, yeah, I don't think he did. Other than the year that he got the surgery, which he obviously missed a lot. The, I think it's he played about f at least 50 games the other year. Well, Varley's issue was never out for a starter, though. <laughs> Varley's well, issue was that his injuries were like, like he, he didn't take contact injuries. He, he would yeah. go to make a save and he would pull something. Like, Grubauer, in a game where he was getting very limited action and it was 20 degrees outside, gets hit by his defender. Yeah, and I think even someone said it. I'm sorry, I don't remember who said it, but they could see it coming, that he had no action in the first period. He was going to get cold, and then something happens and he goes down. So, yeah, I, I certainly believe the circumstance didn't help him. But we are talking about the third incident of the year. I think it's both fair and unfair. So. Yeah, I mean, we could be saying when he gets hurt next year, you are exactly right, or he's perfectly healthy and it's fine. We just don't know. Yeah. It, it really depends on what his 
diagnosis and prognosis end up being, and because it's day off, nobody knows fucking anything. So, um, so as to avoid burying the lead here, I'm gonna have to ask y'all to let me get through this entire non-comprehensive list of major grievances from the event last night before we talk about them. <laughs> Sorry. It's gonna take a while. So the stadium's the Air Force Academy, which is an active military installation with two ways in or out. There's no transit. Attendance was over 43,000 people, all in cars, going in and out of two gates. No shuttles, just cars. What could possibly go wrong? Anyone from the area knows that I-25 between Denver and Colorado Springs is a traffic nightmare under normal circumstances. How how long would you all say it normally takes to get from general Denver area to Springs? An hour and a half. And with no traffic, it would be... Like an hour. So Generally very messy. So it wasn't a surprise to most that they needed to leave multiple hours early... And yet, still, we saw reports of it taking three or four hours to get from Denver area locations to the stadium, fans abandoning their cars to hike an hour in 25-degree weather after getting fed up with the gridlock, and as if just the sheer volume of people wasn't enough, there's highway construction on game day to repair potholes. Dangerously severe potholes that could, like, destroy cars or whatever they said it was. So, <laughs> cool. Good planning. Let's talk about the pregame fan fest stuff. Um, Falcon Stadium has seen a bunch of I don't know whether it was rain or snow. I don't live nearby. But it was a muddy slog of an event um, with hours-long lines for the single merch trailer, items selling out early, fans eventually just giving up on it to go inside the arena where they found hour-long waits for concessions and bathrooms. Maybe not early on the bathrooms part of it, but later on, definitely. And if you haven't seen the photos of the concession lines yet, uh, do yourself a favor. Go read AJ Hayfley's write-up from the event on the DMVR. It's unlocked and free. It looks less like a line and more like a mosh pit. You can find the, <laughs> the the photo from Twitter in there as well as some other fan reports and stuff too. There's reports of insufficient amenities all over the internet. They seem to have run out of food items pretty early into the game. So in conclusion, after you get to the game, probably having missed a chunk of the beginning, you can miss another big chunk to stand in line and not get a hot dog and a beer. Nice. God forbid you have to find a similar line to get to the bathroom. As for the game itself, you know, honestly, parts of me wants to say fans should realize low seating in a football stadium for a hockey game is going to be obstructed by the boards. The other parts of me wants to say how dare you sell seats with obstructed views at premium prices. After the game, it goes full Lord of the Flies in the parking lot as 43,000 people are all trying to exit through two gates in their cars. Uber and Lyft drivers couldn't get through the gridlock either. So I've seen reports they were declining fares, which left people stranded and hitchhiking with each other to get farther away so they could get a ride. Some people took around three hours just to get out of the parking lot and off the base. And finally, worst of all, part of that three-hour delay was because of the emergency response to what's been confirmed today as a fatality, the deceased not identified, but most likely a fan because the Air Force described them as a civilian. We will not be discussing what happened on the show because none of the internet rumor details have been verified. So there you have it. People spending six to eight hours in their cars to watch less than half of a pretty bad hockey game, and the ones who were early enough for pregame festivities found a sold-out mud pile, catastrophic lines for amenities, and a parking situation so bad it may have played a role in someone's death. Remind me why this event had to happen at this location again. Because yeah. the NHL is... They had this commitment 
to doing all the military acad- academies. So when they decided to honor the Air Force, this was pretty much the only logical choice. So to that extent, I get that. And things like the traffic and the parking, that's been talked about for weeks. Like, people know that. People know when you go to an outdoor game, the sight lines are bad. They know the lower you sit, the worse the view is. Like, those things are known. What gets me is how do you run out of merchandise? How do you run out of food and beer? Like, it's not hard to count. (laughs) It's not hard (laughs) to understand how many people are showing up and how... How much you're going to need and why is it such a disaster when they do get crowds of that size maybe not every game but the air force does have they one game a year where they do never get crowds that size though well when they played like the the army games they get forty thousand. Mm, so i don't know if they actually do and even when they do a significant significant portion of that are cadets coming from the base but that i'm not talking about traffic i'm talking about bathrooms concessions merchandise so i don't i do not understand how they ran into those problems i'm not denying it i saw the pictures too but to me that's the more baffling part like I didn't go to this game partly because there was no transportation to this game. And my my question is, at what point do the... I know the Avalanche are pretty much going to be hands-off. This wasn't our event. This is an NHL event. But at what point do they have the responsibility to facilitate their fans if there was any sort of mass transit options that would have alleviated some of these problems? That could have been... at least a positive factor. But they certainly don't try to do anything to help their fans and they wash their hands of it. That's, yeah. That's what's most off putting to me is just the, the lack of any kind of shuttles or anything. Like the only way to make this work um, from the Avs perspective, like the only thing they can really do to help this is to get cars off the road by having shuttles all day long. Everything else is on preparation in the stadium from the Air Force Academy and from the NHL for you know, doing this in the first place. Yeah, I I cannot imagine either side when it comes to the NHL and Air Force is very happy with the way this went down. Um, the Air Force was essentially in charge of running everything once people got on the land. So that is the parking dealing with the concessions and everything in the stadium. And I do not think the NHL got what they were sold at all. And you you know what? The NHL made money hand over fist anyway, so they probably don't care that much. But I bet we do not see another NHL game at that stadium ever. (laughs) I'm I'm sure too. (laughs) Shame. Total shame. It shouldn't have happened in the first place, frankly. Yeah, and and like Jackie said, I think a lot of the traffic problems were extremely predictable. Not as bad as the extent that it was getting out of the stadium. There were obviously extraneous factors going into that, and it made it just completely unacceptable. But going in, 
you had to leave early. There are a lot of people that miss time because they just didn't leave early enough for the traffic that happens on that road. Um, so that I understand at least a little bit, but to have that and then compound it with the disaster that was the event itself. I mean, this is, this is going to go down as a game that's remembered for everything else, but the game, which is not uncommon for outdoor games because it's supposed to be about the atmosphere, but the atmosphere was a disaster. <laughs> I think they did have a nice setup around the, around the rink or the, the plane sitting there and they had that, runway where everyone walked out of i think it, it looked visually stunning i think that's probably the only thing that was successful but that all that is is a photo so i mean they could have at least raised the camera up 20 feet so there was a decent angle but right boy, that would have been nice that, <laughs> that tv angle was so bad you, you could not tell where anything was side to side Except for when they went to the very nice drone cam. Um, and when I say very nice, I mean when it doesn't have to swivel back and forth too much because then it caused motion sickness. And I'll also say the weather was perfect. Oh, yeah. Yesterday. The, very lucky. It was a little cool, but there was it was not snowing. It was sunny. It was clear. So I can only imagine if it had been snowing with the traffic and with the issues, it would have been even worse. Well, anytime the conversation around your special event devolves into wondering who's going to be served with a wrongful death lawsuit, you know you've done a bang-up job. That part of the story is absolutely tragic, and it puts some of the rest of this in a little perspective. But this is ultimately... Yeah, certainly tra like, tragedy. Yeah. But this is ultimately a, a hockey podcast, and there's three other hockey games last week to talk about. So if unless we've got um, more of these side things that happened that I ha didn't get to, or there's other angles, um, like other angles to discuss that we haven't gotten to yet, let, now's the time because I'd like to leave this in the past because it's it's all anybody's going to talk about for like two weeks. Sounds good to me. We should have known the second they released that jersey to just call it all off. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to buy those now? Great memories. So first up on Sunday of last week, which happened before this show, so we're gonna, I want to spend zero time on it. The Avs took on the Minnesota Wild at home and beat them 3-2. 34 saves from Paulo Francois, goals from Nathan McKinnon, Gabe Landeskog, and P.E. Belmar. Um, other than just, I mean, we're spending zero time on it other than to say it's really good that the Avs had a five game road trip that ended in a traveling back to back versus a divisional opponent and they won that game. And that now yeah, Nazem Kadri's out for win. a long time. Thanks to a face off slew foot. And Miko got hurt in the other time that they had to inexplicably stop on the way back from a long road trip to shoehorn in another division game. Just saying. <clears throat> I think it was a good win, though. I remember Francis was pretty awesome in this game. And uh, it could have been a disaster because, uh, obviously, the energy levels could tell were low. But they worked it out. So it, it was a really good win, I think, for them. Even people could say, well, Minnesota's really not that great. But... They have a really good home record. That's a, that was a tough game for the Avs, and 
I think it was impressive they won it. Yeah, I think the both games of the back-to-back were opponents of the type that give them a lot of problems, and, and beating both in consecutive days is, is pretty impressive. Devin Dubnik was bad, so yay. That helped. <laughs> was he really bad, or was he just Dubnik? <laughs> so we find ourselves now in a four and a half game homestand starting on Tuesday. Avs win three nothing over the Ottawa Senators. Goals from Miko Rantanen and Valeria Juchkin. The empty netter from Landeskog from about three foot out. Tough to miss from there. Grubauer gets a shutout, which you love to see given how much of a struggle he's had at times this season. Gruby allowed two or fewer goals in every game he played for a week. Not hard to find some wins when you get that kind of goaltending. Yeah. Yeah, that makes the injury hurt even more because this is the best Grubauer has played in a long, long time. He was really helping the Avs seal win. Yeah, it was nice. Before the Washington game, they went like several periods without conceding a goal at 5-on-5. It was something like 220 minutes at 5-on-5 without a goal. Some of that is your opponents, but also there. I mean, there's still Columbus in there. There's still Minnesota in there. So you, you to give up zero five on five goals is really special. Yep. I'm not hearing a whole lot to say about this Ottawa Senators game. I wonder why. <laughs> um, I was at the game. I mean, I could talk about it. Obviously, uh, that was what three nothing, and Ottawa plays. Harder than some of the other dogs out there, but they cannot score on the road. So all they needed was a couple scores and shut the door. And I do think Grubauer had to make some good saves in that third period. So they could have let it get interesting, which nobody wanted, and they didn't. So they took care of business. That's the other thing you like to see them take care of business against some of these bad teams they're going to play upcoming. Uh, the other thing I remember from the Ottawa game is they studied the Avs power play and they knew it was coming. Yeah, those were pretty bad power plays. The <laughs> big kind of standout for all of these games for me was Andre Burakovsky, man. That kid has proved himself again to be consistently a player that will consistently help the Avs win games that they are supposed to win. And yeah. he's not always going to get on the score sheet. He didn't against Ottawa, but... or No, I guess he did get the one assist to Nachushkin on the power play, but he has been able to fill whatever role the Avs have asked of him in the top six, whether that's being the trigger man, whether that's being the setup man, whether that's being a guy that has to go and get pucks. He's done it. Yeah, I and think I actually just admit lately, Bednar's giving him the minutes. Yeah, and I fully admit of not paying a lot of attention to last night's game after a certain point, but I, I did notice Burakovsky making plays last night, and it, you know, for, for a, a team that wasn't making a lot of plays, it, it did stand out nicely. He's been fine on the line with McKinnon. I still pref- I liked that up with Kadri and Nuke better, but for obvious reasons, that's not possible right now. And Landeskog definitely needed a change or something because he's looked pretty bad for quite a while. So I understand why they have the lines the way they are currently, but 
I don't know if I leave Burakovsky on that top line all the time, but at least it's working for now. I mean, if he could play center, that would be real nice, <laughs> but he can't. <laughs> yeah, I noticed Burakovsky having a, a pretty good impact against the Kings as well, which is interesting because so much of Burakovsky's game is based on being, you know, fantastic in transition, and one thing you don't do outside is transition. So yeah, I was really curious to to see him oh have God. a nice impact. That one shift was at the late second or third period where McKinnon gets the puck and goes up the boards and he's just like chugging through the neutral zone and you're like, something is very wrong here. <laughs> yeah. Who replaced the ice with sand? What an asshole. <laughs> but yeah, to, to stay on Burakovsky, he he's doing everything for the abs when they give him the opportunity to and... Guess what? He's rewarded them significantly with the second most points on the team now. I Yeah, the fact that he has more than Kadri is definitely notable. I mean, all I can say is props to Joe Sakic. I'm excited to see the extension that he gets. Yeah, now they gotta pay him. I mean, I think he'll be worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well... He had an impact on the next one, too. Finally, on Thursday, the Az welcome Alex Ovechkin 700 watch to the Pepsi Center and jump out to a dominant 2-0 lead over the Washington Capitals from Andre Burakovsky and Miko Rantanen. And then, after about a million penalties in total, throw it away and lose 3-2. The Avs go 60% on the penalty kill. Oof. Some of this is because of how much better Washington is in a special teams battle, but the Avs were outshot 30-23 in the final two periods. And Grubauer was honestly fantastic, but just didn't get enough help. Tell me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, I it felt like from the Avs side, they said, all right, no matter what, Ovi is not getting 700. <laughs> and they just completely took him away on the power play and left a couple of other things a little too open at times. And I, go ahead. I was going to say, I think Ovi's pressing too, because the Avs definitely gave him a couple great A's. <laughs> He didn't get it. He had 17 attempts last night against Arizona. Yeah, yeah he, he should have sure got did. it by now. Like that's crazy. It will happen eventually. 17. So yeah, I mean that happened, and then I hated the way this game was refed. Like we're in the second half of the season now, and half those penalties I look at and just go, "You're not calling them in a month. Why are Why are we calling them now? This is dumb." Yeah, it's it's almost like Washington. They sort of figured out the things that the Blues have done to us many times. Like we'll we'll be up on the Blues, maybe a slight advantage or you know a definite advantage, and sort of halfway through the the game, uh, they they start playing a little rough and reckless, and that turns it into you know a penalty battle, a special teams battle. And it basically sinks the Avs, and it's really tough. Yeah, and it it's interesting to wonder if this is a conscious strategy that I think it is. The other team tries to employ, and I think I think it was maybe even your point, Steph, that the other thing when you take a lot of penalties is you know that the refs are going to look to even them up. So you could almost yeah. say, "Let's go out and take penalties," and know that you're going to get power plays in return at some point. Exactly. It's much easier to draw a call after you take a few. And I, I wrote this in my article on Saturdays. Um, 
the Avs have had a pretty good penalty differential all season, but since the All-Star break, it's not been in their favor. They've they've had to kill a lot more penalties than they've had power plays. And they did I, have I a, think... The Avs did take some careless ones. There's some high sticks in there, which... Yes. Yeah. Those, there were three high-sticking penalties in this game. Yes, we can talk about yeah. um, that... You know, maybe the officiating was tighter in some ways than it normally has been. If you you just want the officiating to be consistent, you want to know what is and isn't a penalty. High sticking is a penalty 100% of the time, except for when it isn't. So 99% of the time. Um, and yeah, Tyson Jost's penalty was actually Backstrom's own stick, but Jost put it there. But and yeah, that's and he did gonna get, with it. <laughs> that's going to get missed sometimes. I'm never going to complain about that call being made incorrectly. As a, because then the alternative is missing real high sticks, and that's worse. And, and for that's me, fine, it's... but it, but if you're going to call a lot of penalties on the Avs, then I think you got to go tit for tat because that was a really even game. I, I I think the penalty differential should have been pretty close rather than what it was. That's the, the frustrating part. Had, the it, Avs should have had a power play in the third period. It was right after gonna... Ian Cole's weak slash, I think, that Gabe Landeskog got pretty well tackled around the midsection in in the corner, and that was just kind of fine. Yeah. But for me, this game was kind of the tale of two games. It was, I think the Avs even made Washington look a little slow in the first period. Like, they made he, they made them look old, which was a little bit surprising. And they were just cruising so well in that first period. But it, it's almost like Washington knew how to withstand that. And they were able to exert their game by the end of the game. And I think that's something that the Avs need to take away from this game because I don't think it's going to be an isolated incident. And yes, you could take the whole second period and throw it out because that was all special teams. But I think in the third period, the way that Washington came from behind and took the, the lead and took the win, and this was yet another game the Avs couldn't get to overtime. Well, it's, it's also, just... it's tough to defend when you've been called for so many penalties. You're just... you're. You know, you're given like eighty percent when you could be giving a hundred if you weren't afraid of taking penalties every other shift. I mean, the Avs are just such a momentum team, too. Right? Like the game was fine. Sure, they were taking some penalties, and the Caps got it within one. And then Ian Cole hits a post, and they don't get it to three-one. And then they get the five-on-three, and they don't get it to three-one. And and yeah, that's sudden, another thing. You, and that you have five to on score three your was five on three. Terrible. Right. And then all the air goes out of the building and the entire third period ends up being Washington just hounding them and dominating the play. And of course they eventually tie it up and then go on to win. That's one thing that keeps the Avalanche from being, you know, a traditionally elite hockey team is that they are so momentum based that when things get pushed against them, they have such a hard time getting the game back under control. I think part of that is their system. And I think also part of that is that maturity that they still don't have yet. And that's not a maturity that you can go out and buy at the deadline. That's that's just something that they're going to have to learn and what's going to make them a contender. You mean you don't want Andy Green? <laughs> yeah, shout out to the Islanders no. for jumping on that grenade. <laughs> it's... Uh... Uh. But it's it's not like this inconsistent officiating thing is is new. It's like like Earl said, they've been facing a lot more penalty kills and power plays lately, which is not normal for this team. And it's it seems like 
I mean, fans are going to bitch about officiating. That's what they do. But it seems like every single night I'm seeing more people than usual on my Twitter timeline. It's being like, what is a penalty? Yeah. And I know a lot of people say, well, in the playoffs, there'll be fewer penalties. And that's true. But then when you get an opportunity to have a power play or you give the other team an opportunity, they mean so much more as well. Well, it just comes back to the consistency like you guys were talking about, right? Like Cole has the weakest slash in the world and they get called and it's like, all right, that's how you're going to call it. Fine. And then Comfer gets his stick exploded out of his hand and there's no call. Yeah. And it's like, what is happening? Exactly. I mean, it's it, it was just inconsistent. I mean, I'm not saying the refs were in the cap's pocket or anything, but it just you you didn't get the feeling that it was being officiated equally. You, the last thing you want is to give fans a conspiracy theory about officiating because they're already looking for them. Right. And and so now you've got Alex Ovechkin, the power play bomb shot man, getting a bunch of weak power plays. Cool. Yeah. And I'm and I'm not trying to to say that that was intentional at all. I think it's coincidental, but like. And he would be the just, last guy that would want that. You no, know? he's so much a competitor. It's just frustrating that that's what a, a possible story that ends up happening, and it's completely predictable because, like I said, no one no one knows what a penalty is right now. You just had Evander Kane put out a big statement about player discipline like yesterday, because he got a, a some kind of result for elbowing. I don't remember what exactly the punishment was. And three games, yeah, I think. Th- three games for yeah, el- three for elbowing a, a Neil Pionk who had turned at the last minute to into like before he hit him. And then Zach Cassian gets seven for intentionally kicking a guy with his skate in the chest. Like, uh, <laughs> no one knows what's going on right now with discipline in game or out of game. And it's, it sucks. Yeah, I agree with him. That elbowing call, that, that's definitely one of the more subjective ones. And I'm, I'm not somebody who's in the business of defending Evander Kane anymore, but that, that's not a three game suspension. Keep your elbow down, yeah. but that's not a three-game suspension. Yeah. And before we leave the Washington game behind, Earl, I believe there was something that you wanted to launch into from this. Yeah, and it's actually something over the last five games. We've seen the Avs... Um, you know, we've seen it a lot, actually, over the past couple of months, that, that point shots and, and defensemen taking a lot of shots have, have, have been a theme. And something that, that Jared Bednar spoke about after games is something he likes. Uh, but in the last five games, it's really been, um, I think, something that's been detrimental to their 5v5 scoring, which has really fallen off a cliff since the Columbus game. Um, defensemen have taken over 46% of the Avs shots on at net at 5v5, and that's <clears throat> that's a lot. Um, you look at their shot groupings, and it's just there's a ton above the circles, and they're just not getting into the slot anymore. Um, if you go back you to know, Columbus like... and look at the heat map, there's no av shots in the, in the crease area at all. Zero. Yeah, there's one below the circles, and it's Kale McCarr. So that's you know that's weird. But you know it's like Columbus does a really good job defending, so it's like okay, you know it's like one game you can live with that, but it's just it's it's continued. And now Nathan McKinnon has fallen in love with the point shot. I mean, we've seen this again for a couple months that he likes being back there, likes having the three guys high and all that. Um, but since the 
over the last five games, he's had, I think, 22 shots at the net, and only five have been from below the circles. And it's just, you know, you can't take one of the league's best scorers and, and say, hey, why don't you just make it really difficult to score? Um, it's just, it, it. this is something that over the past couple of years, when the abs have gone into scoring slumps, this is generally one of the symptoms, is a, the defenseman taking a larger share of the shots and 5v5 scoring falling off a cliff. So, I mean, I you know, I hope it's something they get back on track Monday against Tampa and it doesn't become an issue. But, you know, if they end up in a, in a little bit of a slump, this is something that we can usually point to as a harbinger of it. And you can chicken egg this, right? Like you can say, okay, well, maybe they just are having a hard time getting into the you know center of the ice right now. Right. And so they're taking what shots they can get. And Tampa is not a team that's going to change against. The New York Islanders, not a team that's going to change against. The LA Kings outside, not a team that's going to change against. But when you've got Nathan McKinnon taking point shots, that points to intentionality. Yeah. When you've when you got five when you're doing the low to high for a shot five on five, that points to intentionality too. Yeah. And he's pulling up a lot more again, too. He's not challenging as much. I understand sometimes he carries into the zone, he's got three guys on him. I get that. But there were instances like when a guy lost his stick and McKinnon didn't challenge him one on one. Oh, that that was so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. that's another clue that things aren't working as they should. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing for everyone to be upset that Ryan Graves is maybe pirating shots away from Camel Carr and, and things like that. But, you know, it's like we're, now that we're kind of seeing that it, it may be the staff wanting them to take a lot of shots from up high. Um, you know, you really you really have to question if that's the way to go. I do wonder a bit if it's just a situation where the Evs just don't, their half court offense is not great. Like, no, they it's not. Really <laughs> struggle with getting the puck into quality positions when the defense is set up. And so I almost wonder if the shots from the point are a byproduct of them going, look, stop trying to pass it into impossible areas and just get it to an open guy and shoot. Because on the rush, they're still fine. Like That's where Burakovsky is excelling, is on the rush where he pulls up, he finds the third man into the zone, and just, it works out. Well, I mean, Eddie Olchick was talking about this. I mean, he noticed this last night, that it's just, they had so many one-and-done chances last night, because they were taking shots from the point, and they're, you know, they're rimming around and out of the zone, or they're bouncing out to a, a Kings defender in the middle of the ice. And that's, you know, again, that's something that's been happening a lot over the last five games. And you're just like, I, I know it's tough to get passes into the slot area. Everybody's pretty much figured out that's where goals are the easiest to score. But, you know, you can't shoot too. yourself in the foot by making it easier for them that way either. Uh, I I don't know. Again, I don't take much out of that game. No, not at all. Lot. I'm just saying this is something like he's noticing something that's been happening a lot. That's their system, though. They don't have passing plays, really, except for, you know, like a two-on-one or something. But they're shooting from the point because they're looking for tips or screens. They're not a rebound team. They're not a passing team. They're not an east-west team at all. And 
it it has it's obviously given them success where they are in the standings but i think it will it it does put a cap on what they can achieve i fear you know this is why we've talked about getting rid of ray bennett for so long it's it's not just the power play just getting an offensive mind in there that can teach guys how to play a little east west and, and play a little bit of a passing game down low would be so helpful because it, it would just expand what they're able to do. I mean, you've got a lot of talent there, and they don't have a lot of plays to work with. It's funny. The one player who has started playing East-West a little bit over the past two weeks is Miko Rantanen. And yep. look at how much better he's been. Yep. That goal, and where, where was, was that the Washington goal? Where he the, the auto slid goal. into it, the, the auto well, goal? Well, the auto goal, goal was, was the backhand of doom. Was, yeah, was that was and that end. was so sick. Yeah, that was when every Avalanche fan on Twitter went, "Oh, Miko's back." Yeah, because that was not a move his ankle could handle for several weeks. For Ron Haynes, he at the blue line now, but <laughs> right. <laughs> and Hainsey is the one that Nuke and Burakovsky burned in Ottawa. He was <laughs> so he's got two of those on his uh, highlight reel now. Yeah, but, you know, the the gist of this whole conversation is it, it looks like that when they're having problems scoring, they don't have a lot to fall back on as far as tactics to try that they might not use all the time or whatever. They're, they're pretty much, you know, have a, a low variety of plays to use, and I, I think that ends up hurting them a lot. So let's go from that uh, straight into Stars and Scratches, and I'm going to re- award a star to Miko Rantanen for being back, and mostly for that backhand of Doom goal, because holy shit. Yeah, yeah. that thing, it's one of the top five backhands in the league, straight up. Who else? I mean, you already know I'll say Burakovsky here. He's yeah. a beast. Yeah, he's been awesome. Um you know, he's picked up the slack, and then, I don't know if it's really slack, but, you know, swapping he and Landy really has worked out okay. I, I think it would work out a little bit better if the, the center wasn't quite as weak on, on the second line, but, you know, he doesn't look out of place on the first line at all. Andre Burakovsky is a very good, not great, very good scorer, and if there's anything we know about scoring in the National Hockey League, it's streaky, it's inconsistent. And I, I really don't think anybody embodies that more than Burakovsky. When you talk about him uh, you know, picking up the slack or whatever, he had a month off. I mean, yeah. good scorers are going to have several weeks in a row where not a whole lot goes in for him. Great ones, it's a much shorter time. Like Nathan McKinnon, who's at, like, what, 80 points now? Yeah. Well, you just hope more assists happen during that streak. Right. Well, you can't have, like, no assists, too. I mean, especially if you're getting time, which that is one thing I've said all year is that Benner's been a little reluctant to give him some ice time. He has, and it turns out you put a very good scorer next to McKinnon, and McKinnon makes him borderline great. Yep. So shout out to Burrow, who has definitely, uh, definitely had a, a much better January, February. I think I'll give my start of the goaltending. I think they both deserve it. I think Franco's deserves it for his game in Minnesota. Grubauer got the shutout against Ottawa. I think, I think as a tandem, they've been pretty good this week. Yeah, 
I mean, it dates yeah. back to last week, but Grubauer at one point had given up three goals in four games. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah. And that could have easily been five or six, two in Washington's favor. Grubauer was excellent. All right. So I kind of want to say you're not allowed to scratch the NHL or the Air Force. I mean, come on. The easiest one is Ian Cole, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What happened on that play? I couldn't figure it out. He just got so tangled up. Unmitigated disaster for him. He got beat, and then he just couldn't even get out of the way. Played that completely wrong every single step of the way. (laughs) Like, I don't know what he was doing. I just think his lack of IQ also comes up too much. I know he hasn't been completely awful all year, and he has the points, but sometimes you're just like, what is that guy doing? I think you, Steph, mentioned one game where he, like, he did, like, had three mistakes in a row, which which concluded with him going offside when they finally got the puck back in transition. That would <laughs> like, not have been me. he had a turnover, me. he did something else wrong, and then he put him offside when they finally got the puck back that that would not have been me because i am not good enough at paying attention to defender details i swear i thought it was you well okay well <laughs> if it was, it was anyone else out there that was a good observation it's just he's frustrating the iq but none of the defensemen are a total black hole disaster which is a nice change there isn't someone that we have to avert our eyes from constantly there's yeah, nobody I mean, replacing the tough thing, I guess you could put the, it that way. The tough thing for me with the defensemen is I don't want them shooting as much as they do. But on the other hand, it's nice to see, you know, like EJ finally shooting the puck again and, and you know, becoming an offensive presence to some extent. Um, and you same know, goes for Zadorov. But frankly, it feels like when they're falling into that defenders are shooting a lot trap, it's Johnson. Yeah. And he's had a ton of shots over the last three games. I hadn't made that connection I mean, he's had, before. I, yeah. He, so, had the, he had double the most shot, even strength shot attempts against Ottawa than anyone else. He had eight. Yeah. yeah. Everyone had four. And it's. <laughs> I, I honestly think there's too many cooks on the defensive end. The only one that doesn't really shoot significantly is Cole. Because or especially. McCarr. I don't think McCarr shoots. Well, he, he shoots enough. He hits a lot of posts. Yeah, they don't count as shots, but uh, because he, in the second half, especially, you know, Zadorov decides he wants to be a goal scorer again. Uh, Graves is Graves. Uh, Gerard had three shots on one shift to score a goal the other night. So yeah. every all of the defensive shooting is up right now, and it. The defense worked better, in my opinion, when EJ was full-on defensive. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's I a good thing to that. watch. I'll, I'll be looking at that, because that, that's a good observation. And I realize that the coaching staff wants the D to get involved with the play. They want a five-man attack, but it's just... If, if the guys who are in the back are attacking and the guys up front are just skating around, that's just not going to pay off that much well and and that's you get these situations that lead to mckinnon taking point shots because he's like oh god all of my deer pinching again i have to circle back yeah there's that's That's what i've noticed he's definitely 
Yeah, he's definitely back there with with two guys flanking him. You know, it's like when you see the three guys across the blue blue line, and then like Landy and Miko down low. You're like, what are we doing here? Yeah, but I I have definitely noticed one thing that Ian. I don't think it was this week, but Ian Cole has the puck and cycles all the way down to below the goal line with it, and then passes it to the point. What? Like the forwards they, love they doing do that too. pass out of the slot. That drives me absolutely nuts. Yeah. You can, I mean, that is, a, that is a classic abs play from this year, is that, to penetrate the slot and then pass it back to the point, and you're just right. like, that, that no! Right, that should be automatic. <laughs> that should just be a never, ever, ever pass out of the what slot. What you have done is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the water spray. Spitz. So, Ian Cole, who else? I'll I'll throw Gabe Landeskog on there again. He just continues to be a lost soul on the ice. He even scored a couple points, and you go back and look, and you're like, wow, he 100% flubbed that shot, and it still went in the net. So, <laughs> that call against Minnesota was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's just been a struggle for him, man. I don't know. Obviously not having Kadri is not going to help him on the second line if that's where he ends up being, but – He's actively making lines worse, and that's bad. The second down, it's been yeah. better, and he did score right away when that happened. But yeah, he's been low key bad for a while. Well, one thing I noticed with the second line is that they were cycling really well. Donskoy, Landeskog, and, and even Comfer. Uh, the problem was is they couldn't develop a shot or a scoring chance off of that cycle. Like they'd sit there and cycle for 30 seconds. That's great because you're suppressing shots and all that, but um, it's got to lead to something. There's got to be an end game to it. It just doesn't seem like they have that figured out yet. But if they can cycle like that and, you know, eventually get some chemistry and put some shots on the net, like Donskoy had one really good chance against Washington from that. So it's, you know, the, the potential is there, but... I'm not you know, surprised. It's going to take Landy like, being better for sure. I'm not surprised at all that a line of Landeskog, Comfer, and Donskoy specifically would cycle a lot and generate nothing. Because, yeah. <laughs> because Gabe and Donskoy are used to playing with McKinnon, who shoots the lights out, and Kadri, who is a very has a very selfish offensive playstyle where he wants to take that puck out of the corner, drag it around you, and snipe it. Right, and it's like Comfer, you know, he's got a pretty good shot, and he's got okay instincts in the offensive zone. It's just he's probably going to have to be that guy that that breaks off of the cycle and gets in the middle and, and gets ready for the shot. And you know, maybe that works out. But yeah, it's an adjustment for him. It's not his game. I think it's a bit rough. Like I think they told Comfort yeah. to chill with the shots because it across like a three game span, he had twelve that he missed high and wide, and they like rimmed out of the zone, and it was just right. like, oh god. That's the worst. Yeah, that happened at the end of the power play not too long ago, too. I think that led to their shorthanded goal against. So, yeah. yeah while we're on and this that's, topic... You know, my... That's one reason I'd like to see Kamenev there, because I think Kamenev could cycle with those guys pretty well, too. That's that's kind of his thing. Probably so. And I think that he can play that slot game pretty well, and maybe better than Comfer. I mean... So while we're on the topic of Gabe and his line, my scratch is for Comfer. I yeah. think that's fair. I... I still think he's uh, overrated by the coaching yeah. staff. Yeah, he's... I don't think it's his fault. I, I think he's being yeah, put in a situation so that he does not have the toolkit to succeed in. But that's still what's happening. Yeah. 
And I realize they probably feel like they don't have a lot of choices and they don't want to put Jost in that situation again. And I can see that. Um, but, you know, it's, it seems like they're resigned to just not having much good come out of that second line right now. Or just they're hoping that Confer turns into somebody else magically. And like we said at the beginning of the podcast, they limit their own choices. Um, I know we said we're not scratching the NHL or Air Force, but just a little bit of news per Mike Chambers. The NHL and Air Force are scheduled to comment about last night sometime today. So, Oh, boy. Yay, so- fan outrage works, or it probably was the tragedy. <laughs> So y'all will kn- y'all will know oh. what they had to say, but, um, and we do not. <laughs> so, in case you're wondering why we didn't touch on that press conference, it's because we haven't heard it yet. It hadn't happened yet. Good old podcasting. Nothing like topical podcasting. <laughs> so, coming up next week, it's a busy one. Starting on Monday, the Tampa Bay Lightning are in town for another potential cup final preview, 7 o'clock Mountain. Then on Wednesday, it's the New York Islanders' turn in the Pepsi Center with an opportunity to prove they aren't Mm. actually incredibly boring (laughs) bastards. 8 o'clock your start time for that one because it's on a Wednesday. The Avs head to Cali for a weekend back-to-back, 8 o'clock Mountain in Anaheim on Friday, and then 8.30 Mountain, big oof, in LA against the Kings on Saturday. All games are on altitude if you can get it, except the Ducks one, which is on altitude too, the Ocho. Predict me an outcome. I think they can get six points. I think the Tampa game is going to be hard. Tampa's won like ten in a row. Of course, you could say they're due, but I just think uh, there's probably going to be a little bit of hangover, I think. Plus, we'll see what happens with the goaltending. But I think the Avs can beat the Islanders. It was close in their building. I think they can win at home. And you just hope that they can beat the bad California teams, even though the Ducks have given them trouble. And I think Isn't definitely... bad California teams redundant? <laughs> it, uh, yeah, they're the bottom three teams in the West, so. But that's why they can beat them, because they're bad. So uh, they definitely should get paybacks on the Kings. That one is like a book it. The Anaheim game, I think, is the one that's a little bit more in question. Plus, it's on a back-to-back, so it does make it a little tougher, especially if the goaltending situation is not resolved. Well, Anaheim's the first game. You could, well, right, but you could see Frank playing all four. Yeah, you could. Yep. Especially um, if uh, if Evan's right in his speculation. Which is what? He is unfortunately right, and it's very confusing to me that Adam Werner is apparently healthy and playing for the Eagles today. Nice. But Hunter Miska is not in the lineup, presumably to be called up by the Abs. That's bad news, They gotta get their money's worth, right? Well, we don't know how healthy Werner is. I mean, he's starting, so he's gotta be kinda healthy. (laughs) He's at least 50%. (laughs) Healthy enough to be better than McDonald's. Yeah, I guess. Bebo um, won too. Yeah. Yeah, let's not <laughs> I won't get into that right. Um 
Yeah, I, I think six points as well. Uh, I think the Tampa game will be very good, but when the Avs can win, the Isles, they're going to get straight varlied as you do, and then they win both sides of the back-to-back where they arrive in L.A. and Tyler Toffoli walks to the away locker room because he's an Av now. Does Jost go the other way? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> So my, I mean, you know, we've, we've said a million times you can't take a whole lot away from that outdoor game, but I think one thing you can take away from it is that the LA Kings play a really strong kind of system game. They just, they don't have the talent. The only way to explain their position in the standings on top of that, of a strong system game is they just don't have the talent to keep up. So that indicates to me that the app should win that game. It also indicates to me that I'm going to hate it. My prediction is that I will hate three out of four games this week. Because we have the Islanders, who like to play that shell game. We have the Ducks, who make me angrier than I think any other team in the National Hockey League. And that includes Minnesota. And then L.A. again. I'm going to be a little bit of a wet blank. I'm going to be a little bit of a wet blanket, and I'm going to say they only get three points out of this week. Which would be the most awful worst timing to do that before the deadline, because then they will definitely panic. Yeah, I think they lose both games at home and take three points out of the California teams, who are bad, but I don't have to say that because it's a redundant. And then just to be clear, like this is really the last challenging week of the schedule. Yeah, there's a lot of bad teams in March. Because coming up at the end of February, there is a road back-to-back between Carolina to Nashville. But then after that, it's Detroit, Anaheim, Vancouver, San Jose, LA, the Rangers, Vancouver, Vegas. Okay, those two teams have been winning hockey games. San Jose, Nashville, Montreal, Minnesota, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Nashville, Arizona. Like, it's a lot of Pacific teams. That's fun. So yeah, this week, they're take care of business. if they can get through this week in good shape, they are generally in good shape. Yeah, was was it just, last I, week that I, we I talked think... about the Blues being catchable? I think it may be. I think the concern there is Dallas. Yeah, the concern is no longer the Blues. <laughs> the, concern, the concern is if Colorado doesn't win the division, St. Louis has to. Right. So, anyway, going 0-4 against the Stars is looking kind of painful right now. Yeah. Any other predictions for next week, or are we good to get out of here? Um, They'll make a terrible trade. That's probably a pre-book it. Well, last year, you called that they were going to call uh, trade for Broussard in, like, December. <laughs> So who who's their target this year? I've been I've been saying all year Nemestikov for the third, but right. their sets are probably set higher now. <laughs> They're probably panicking. So, well, regardless, Blake <laughs> it will not be Blake Coleman. <laughs> There's no way it's Blake Coleman at this point. Um, but reg- sounds like Boston for Coleman, but still nothing confirmed. This is just the most what? bizarre ass story. Regardless of how many points the Avs end up with this week, regardless of whichever forward they end up trading for, you know, you can find out here. Um, SoundCloud, Mixcloud, not Mixcloud anymore. I quit update, uploading there because it was being a pain in the ass. 
So SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and your RSS-based feed catcher. Um, don't forget to join us on Monday, where we will break down the upcoming Nemesnikov trade and laugh at everything else that happens around the league when somebody loses their goddamn mind and trades a first for Ryan Hartman. Keep your head up, Oof. get to the dirty areas, and we will see you then. Uh, they, I mean, they didn't even want to give up their first for cup. Like, they were a pretty hard stance for cup. Good job, Discord. All right. You wait until we were done with the show to shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs>